Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the We Believed You Paranormal Podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Michelle. And today's guest is none other than Tom Stewart. We mentioned him a couple episodes ago. I think it was like four episodes ago, maybe. Uh, and uh, we we're like, yeah, let's just pull the trigger. Let's get him back on. And we reached out and he was he was game. So uh, I'm excited about this interview. I It's always a good time talking to Tom. And uh, he's a very entertaining person. So looking looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got all the, the stories. And I'm sure that um, if you guys enjoy enjoy this first half or part one of his interview you are for sure gonna love his podcast so if you haven't already please do yourselves a favor go to his podcast my paranormal story and just binge it um you'll hear in part two us kind of talking about um well maybe not because i'm gonna cut it right uh yeah, just binge his podcast, My Paranormal Story, and he also has uh, another podcast called Celebrity Ghost Stories, and um, they're both really great. His production is awesome, and I think you guys will love it. Well, no, I don't think. I know you guys will love it. Yeah. All right, guys, so today's interview is with someone we've had on before, uh, and we were very excited to talk to him again, and that is, we mentioned him actually a few episodes ago so that is mr tom stewart yes (laughs) hey guys would you like to reintroduce yourself a little bit for i guess maybe uh here the last episode or or just getting to know you today sure sure well tom stewart uh my podcast is my paranormal story where i tell stories about my experiences as an investigator and many of my personal experiences and uh, stuff like that I do want to say this, guys. We are we are going to talk about some of ex- his, some of his experiences today, and some of those might be episodes that he has out. But if do yourself a favor, even if you think you know the story or you've heard the the story right now during the interview, or whatever, please go listen to the, the podcast because the production is it's mm-hmm. on point. His voice, I mean, as you just heard. Perfect. <laughs> Velvety smooth. Yeah. The music, it's not, we, we always debated whether to put on music like in the background, but we heard another podcast where they did that and it didn't work, but Tom, mm. he, he, it's just, it's just right. It goes with the story. Yeah. Yeah. If you're telling so, a story, you want to have a score. You want to have some music to try to build up the momentum, get you to that one point where you're on the edge, you know, and it's a great way to transition from being way up high and then coming back down and starting over again. But on an interview show like this, you know, just intro music, outro music, that's all you really need. Yeah. So sure. definitely go go check out the the episodes. I, I was just listening to some of them just to kind of have them fresh in my memory. You know, mm-hmm. before we spoke to you, and I was like, "Yeah, this is it's great." Well, Good I appreciate stuff. that. That's nice of you to say. I do take a lot of pride in in making it sound good. You know, I mean, I try to get really great, and I do everything myself. Some people, you know, ship it out for editing and producing, but I do everything myself. All the editing, all the scoring, all, everything you hear is done by me. So it takes a while. So it, it takes me, you know, weeks to just do an episode. Quality yeah. over quantity. Yes. Yes. 
Absolutely. And, and, and it, and it shows. And I remember, uh, in case you haven't heard the first episode that he was on, I was like fangirling because I was such a huge fan of his podcast. And then at the end of of his episodes, he had started to say like, if you want to have me on your show and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And (laughs) that's how we ended up reaching out to Tom and he was on the first time and we're like, okay, this is going to have to be uh, a second, third, fourth, fifth time kind of thing. So if we reach out again in another year, don't be anytime, surprised. Anytime you guys <laughs> need me for anything. I love you guys. You guys are great. And that was one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. And uh, I love when people reach out to to want to chat because I like to chat about this stuff and I like to meet people who are interested in these same things as me. So, you know, that's why I put that at the end of all my podcasts, you know, and it's a great way to network and get more listeners, you know? So, yeah, I love that. Sure. Well, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you back on, um, Eric said this uh, before we started recording, but we had seen that you posted that you were going to go to the Conjuring House. And we have, uh, we had done a, a little deep dive on that. Uh, months ago, last year, at some point, <laughs> I missed that. Literally, one. like it's a two year years ago. ago. Okay, no, yeah. it might have been like a year ago. Yeah, okay. exactly. I'll, I'll check yeah. right now, but I'll let you know. Yeah. How much of your deep dive was based on the movie, and how much was based on other materials? So that was the thing: is we were comparing the movie to the reality. So mm-hmm. uh, we were going based off like what the movie, like what the movie was, and then we were trying to look up as much information of the true life events that actually occurred, um, mm-hmm. you know, and compared them because we did the conjuring one, two and three. Oh, that's so right. I forgot about oh, yeah. that. We made it like a little series. So <laughs> we, yeah. Well, so we conjuring literally one is based on the house in Rhode Island, which is where I was born and grew up and lived most of my life. I'm in Massachusetts these days, but it's, you know, right next door. Um, and yeah, the, the movie, the conjuring house, one of my all-time favorite horror movies, but it's really not close to the real story. <laughs> like it's very, very far off. They took a lot of liberties with the Conjuring House movie as opposed to what really happened in that house. And what happened in that house, from what I'm told from people who experienced it firsthand, it was even scarier than the movie. Because uh, I I've, can't imagine that. I've gotten to know uh, Andrea Perrin over the years. And she, if you've watched The Conjuring, there's five children. Andrea is the oldest daughter. And and I know the real life Andrea. She has written books about this and she's written other books and she has her own podcast and things. And and she shows up at lots of different paranormal expos. She goes to The Conjuring House a few times a year to do public events and stuff. And, you know, she basically says that, yeah, they took a lot of their own liberties with The Conjuring movie. And like in real life, it was scarier from what she will tell people. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. And, and I had heard, well, again, listening to your episode, you had little snippets of her speaking in there, too. And, and mm-hmm. I've heard that she's always willing to, to kind of talk about it. So she's kind of like someone on the bucket list of people that we would like to have on the show at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, Reach out to her. She's really yeah. nice. Um, yeah, mention my name if you want. Um, hopefully that'll help. I don't know. I mean, she's, she's always responsive whenever I've reached out to her. And, uh, the first time I met her, well, technically the first time I ever talked to Andrea was before the movie ever came out, 
before there was a Conjuring movie, before anyone even really knew about the Conjuring house, she had written the first of her three books about her house. And at the time, I was an investigator with Rise Up Paranormal, and we kind of knew about her because of that house. And um, the Rise Up team had actually investigated the house before the movie ever came out. I skipped that investigation <laughs> because at the time I didn't know anything about the house and I knew it was small and I knew there was a lot of us going. So I was like, yeah, I'll sit this one out. Yeah. Uh, and then years later, I was like, what was I thinking? How would I sit that one out? <laughs> but anyway, um, at the time, I was also working at a local news uh, channel, TV channel. And one of the uh, reporters around Halloween was just looking for something Halloweenish to do as like a little fluff segment, you know, on the news. And so I told him, oh, you should reach out to this woman, Andrea. She just wrote a book about her house here in Rhode Island that she grew up in that was really haunted. And uh, it's a pretty interesting book. And so I reached out to her and connected her with that news guy. And that was one of the very first interviews she ever did about her story. So years later, you know, this was just through Facebook. I had never met her in person. And then years later, I went to a paranormal expo and, uh, it was kind of like a VIP event. So there wasn't a lot of people. So it was just like a bunch of people just kind of hanging out who were kind of in the paranormal field. And she's always got people around her orbit. But eventually I found a moment where I could move in and say hi to her. And I walked up to her to introduce myself to her. And before I could even tell her my name, she's like, I know who you are. You're Tom Stewart. And she's like, you're the one who got me one of my first interviews. And she, she knew everything about me. She had followed my career. She knew I was a stand-up comedian. She knew I had worked in radio and TV. She knew about my podcast. Like she knew everything about me. She was like, I'm a fan of yours. And I'm like, well, why didn't you ever tell me this? You know, I felt like a a jerk walking up there, like a fanboy in front of her. And she is like a fan of mine. So it's nice whenever I get to see her now, because she's um, one of the nicest people you'll be around, you'll just feel, uh, like positive energy when you're around her. She's so nice. She's always got a million stories. She can tell you, um, really a nice woman's, it would be great if you guys have her on, she would probably be great on your show. That would be amazing. Just have to actually do it. (laughs) (laughs) But so tell us like what led up to the opportunity of you being able to investigate the house. And I mean, what were Mm. you expecting or hoping to, to, find kind of evidence wise and stuff like that? Mm. Well, for many years, it was just owned by a private family. I mean, it wasn't open to investigators or anything like that. Um, The only reason my paranormal team had a chance to go in there was because they knew somebody who knew them and they were welcome to it. So they let the team in. And um, other than that, um, ghost hunters were like the only other ones that had ever investigated there. So once that family moved out, uh, I believe it was like, mm, I want to say 2018-ish, somewhere around there. Um, a couple of uh, paranormal enthusiasts and investigators, I believe they're from Maine originally, uh, they bought it, the Heinzen uh, couple. Um, what are their names? Um, Corey and Jen. They bought the house with the intentions of living there, but also allowing people to come in and investigate and doing different events. And they were going to kind of like have cameras on 24-7 and really make the house like a study. Oh, wow. And and they were doing that for a little while, living there with their family, but they were really getting uncomfortable living there. Um, and I believe one of their their kids who was like college age, I think it was a she, but, you know, this is just stories I've heard, didn't want to live there anymore and left. And then the whole pandemic happened. And so now they really couldn't have any investigations or anybody come in. 
uh, and there was just a lot of issues. So they decided to sell it. And I believe they sold it in like 2020, 2021, somewhere around there. And they sold it to uh, the current owner, uh, Jacqueline Nunes. And she owns it now and she's done the same thing, but she's got experience with this kind of stuff, with with owning a, a an attraction like this. Mm. So she's very good at organizing lots of different events there. She has investigations. She has um, mediums. She has different uh, gatherings and get togethers and uh, some really creative stuff that she does there so that everybody can have some sort of an experience there. It's not always just about the ghosts, you know, and she doesn't live there per se. She will stay there. I believe sometimes she has like a small living quarters, but I think she mostly commutes and uses it like a job. And she's hired some people as caretakers and as tour guides and things like that there. So, um, so some of my mutual friends have done a lot of things there and have gotten to know her and some of them are, you know, some of them are tour guides there now and such. And so I was doing a podcast with some friends of mine and the guests on the show, also friends of mine, were Cody and Satori. Uh, you may have seen them on Ghost Hunters and Ghost Nation. Um, Satori is actually Jason Hawes' daughter. And her and her boyfriend, Cody, have their own little thing. They call themselves the paranormal couple. And they're very interesting. They're both very, very good investigators. But they also have a th- like this ability, let's call it, where they're able to communicate with spirits they lock hands and they're able to get spirits to communicate through knocking sounds. And I've seen them do it uh, at least a half a dozen times now and um, blows me away because I'm always a skeptic before I'm a believer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they will literally just ask a question and say, you know, knock once for yes, knock twice for no, something like that. And you will hear a knocking sound in response And it's the craziest thing because you can't tell where it's coming from. It's not like coming from them. It's always just coming from somewhere in the room. And I I can't explain it. They're they're blowing everybody's minds with this and they don't even really know how to explain it. So anyway, I was on a podcast with them. We were all doing this thing. It was October. And Cody mentioned, oh, yeah, after this podcast, we're heading up to the Conjuring House because they're doing like an overnight investigation and we're going to go there and do a couple of sessions And I was like, oh, can I tag along? And they would like, I guess, (laughs) you know, because everybody who's there kind of like paid an admission and everything. And and I knew some of my other friends from Rise Up and stuff were going to be there. I was like, I'm just going to go and blend in (laughs) like I'm just going to I'm just going to go. And so that's what I did. I just kind of tagged along with Cody and Satori. And uh, and I got to kind of check out the Conjuring House, which, you know, was a bucket list of mine for a long time. You know, I mean, there's not too many supposedly haunted places in Rhode Island in Southern New England that I haven't been to. So it was on my bucket list to do. So I took, I just jumped at the chance. I was like, all right, I'm going, I'm just going to go. And if they kick me out, they kick me out. I was like, but they're not going to kick me out. So I went and I just, you know, I just stayed in the background. I didn't get involved in any of the investigating or anything. I, you know, I wanted the people who paid to have their experiences, but yeah, sure enough, there were experiences to be had while I was there. And it was really interesting just to be in the house that I'd, you know, read about in the book and heard Andrea Perrin talk about and, you know, in the movie alludes to, you know, even though in the movie the the house 
like isn't even in Rhode Island. The house they used was in like South Carolina or something. Yeah, it looked like a very swampy kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looked like it had like uh, like moss and stuff hanging mm-hmm. off the trees. Like we trees, don't have that yeah. in Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, I think the house was sold in two thousand one because when we did our episode, I was just looking. We it was back in July of twenty uh, July of twenty twenty one. Yep. So oh, right. it's been I about think a year that's and a half. Jacqueline bought it. Yeah, she bought it. It was yeah. after the pandemic mm-hmm. and she purchased it. And she's doing an amazing job with it. And she's very, um, she does, you know, she really walks that thin line of having really great events without exploiting it too much yeah. and without turning it into a circus or anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you go in there, she expects everyone to take everything serious and she doesn't allow certain things. You know, no one's going to go in there and provoke. Nobody's going to go in there and do bloodletting or anything crazy like that, you know? <laughs> and that's why she's, you know, hired, uh, you know, people to be guides and be hosts and stuff so that they make sure everybody's on the up and up. And, I, and everybody seems to be. I haven't heard of any trouble or any problems there. Um, and it's just such a, a cool building to go into just on its own without even the, the history and the story, just because it's such an old, like this thing's from like the 1600s, I think wow. like it's mm-hmm. super, super old. And a lot of the original, you know, building materials are still part of the building. Like you, you look up at the ceilings and you see all the old wooden planks that, you know, were cut by hand and then fastened by hand and, you know, you can just feel how old and rustic this building is. You know, I mean, it's been around since before we were a country, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just the 13 colonies at the time when this house was built. So, yeah. you know, I mean, Texas wasn't even a thing yet. Yeah, no. <laughs> you <laughs> were, were still, still Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> yeah, you were yeah. by the Spanish. You weren't even Mexico yeah. yet. So, I mean, yeah. So it's just such an old piece of property. And there's so many different stories of things that have happened there. And you get to just be standing in those rooms, you know. And yeah, I had a couple of really interesting experiences while I was there. So, I mean, what is it like just walking in? Does it feel different? Like just as soon as you cross the threshold or. I mean, I'm not, I don't consider myself sensitive, so it didn't feel Mm -hmm. different to me other Mm -hmm. than the obvious that, you know, older houses like that feel smaller because Mm -hmm. the rooms are smaller. The doorways are usually smaller. The stairs are usually steep and. So, you know, there was some of that feeling going on, um, mm-hmm. you know, and everything's everything's just a little crooked. You know, there were no levels or anything back then. So they made yeah. a floor. They just made a floor. It was pitched one way and then pitched another way. So, you know, so you kind of get a little bit of a fun house effect when you walk through these old houses. But, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of sensitives and mediums who would say when they walk through that door, they feel something. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So what was like your expectation or did like did something kind of hit you right out of the gate like experiencing it as soon as you walked in kind of thing mm-hmm. um or did it kind of take a while or throughout the night to start picking up on um any evidence or or activity it actually happened pretty quick but i i, I really didn't have high expectations because i was like there's gonna be a lot of people there and there's gonna be a lot of stuff going on and i'm not you know i wasn't i didn't bring any equipment so i wasn't recording for evps or anything like that So I was like, eh, you know, this is going to be more about just having visited here and probably not be any experiences. But I was like totally wrong because soon as we were there, we were kind of just a few of us were just kind of mulling around in the the main room. It was like it's like a living room. And there were two teams of visitors who were there who had like paid to visit and investigate. So one team was kind of like off a couple rooms over and another team was like uh, down in the basement or something. 
And I was just kind of hanging out in the main room with the owner and a couple of investigators. And we were all just chatting and catching up and stuff. And, and I heard, uh, like sounded like a doorknob jiggling and a lot of the doors in there are the old latches. It's not a doorknob. It's like a little metal piece that you lift up and then that metal piece comes up out of the little hook and that's how the door is closing up. So it sounded like somebody was jiggling it and I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, somebody's stuck in one of these rooms. They don't know how to open the door, you know, because younger people might not know how to use that latch device, you know. So I'm just thinking to myself, oh, you know, somebody's screwing around. So I'm hearing and I'm looking around and I'm not sure which door it is because I was going to open it for the person. But I was like, well, whatever. Then it stopped. And then it started doing it again. And I'm just looking and I'm like, I think it's that door over there. And then I looked at Cody and I was like, Cody, you hear that too? And he's like, yeah. He goes, I think it's the door over there. And he knew the place. He's been there a bunch of times. And so he goes over and he opens the door and we look in and there's nobody there. And he's like, hmm. And so we close it and latch it again, go back to our business. And then it starts doing it again. And him and I are just looking at each other like, dude, (laughs) is this really happening or what? And so he goes over again, opens it. Nobody's there. And there shouldn't be anyone on the other side of this door because this side of the door was kind of like her little business office, the owner, and like where her little living quarters would be in the next room over from that. So it's not any place where the public usually goes anyway. So we tell the owner about it. We're like, hey, you know, this door keeps jiggling, you know, and it. So Cody's like, don't you have security camera in there? And she's like, yeah. So they went and checked the footage and Cody was able to record it on his phone. And then he brought it over to me and you can hear on the video, the jiggling and there's nobody there because now the video is from that side of the door and we're on the other side. So there was nobody on either side of that door jiggling that latch. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Okay, Conjuring yeah. <laughs> House, let's do this. This is going to be fun. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So... That was the first one. And then there was another one later on. But go ahead and ask your questions and then I'll tell you about the other one, which was freaky. Yeah, I was just going to comment. Oh, I can't wait then. Uh, I was just going to comment that we uh, I unfortunately don't remember which guess it was that said that it's kind of like sometimes you go and you'll get absolutely nothing and then you'll go again. And it's just like an insane amount of activity and it's like roulette like Mm -hmm. you just know what you're going to get yeah, so it's for totally you to- unpredictable uh, paranormal yeah. activity is always unpredictable and that's why it's so hard to study it and figure it yeah. out because you can't ever predict when it's going to happen so you're never ready and then when you are ready it doesn't happen you know it's almost as if it knows what we're doing sometimes <laughs> you know um so i mean nobody knows what the ideal conditions are that something will happen some people think when it's raining some think people think when it's three in the morning some people think when it's a full moon but, you know, there's nothing consistent about paranormal activity. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so it's really it may, hard to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it may have been uh, Rob from Get Haunted. Oh, that's I think, right. It was. I think yeah. they also investigated there. Yeah. At the Conjuring House? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Although Conjuring House is pretty active for places. From what I understand, it seems pretty active. Um, which worries me because places like that, that are very active. And then all of a sudden there's so many people coming day in and day out that it tends to shut itself off at one point. I feel like it just says, all right, we're done. And then it becomes cold, but hopefully that doesn't happen here because it's such a great place. Maybe like an off season. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Maybe take a couple months off, let the ghosts have some time (laughs) off, let them relax. You know, they're always on, they always got to be on, you know, (laughs) I could understand that. 
when when you had mentioned earlier, uh, I meant to ask uh, about the previous family feeling uncomfortable and like their their child leaving. Is was it like paranormal activity related, or was it just? From what I understand, when um when the owners before the current one was living there, um that they one of their kids, I believe they had two kids, and one was college age or so. And I believe she was just uncomfortable being there for paranormal reasons. And so I think she ended up going back to Maine and staying with another relative or a friend or something. I mean, I could be getting that story completely wrong, but I believe that's what I heard. I don't know them firsthand. I mean, I think I've met them once, but I don't know that. But I believe that was one of the things that led to they still are part of the house. Like, I believe they still do like um, they still host events there and stuff. So they're still part of the house. They just don't own it anymore. You know, so they're still attached to it in that way. But I think I think it was the kids that were having a hard time uh, with Mm. it. So, I mean, I don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you saw what the bedrooms look like, you'd be like, I don't think I could sleep in this bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bedrooms are pretty spooky. And, you know, and, and it was the kids that really got a lot of it, you know, in the original parent family that was living there. It was the it was the kids mostly and the mother were getting the ones that were being haunted the most, you know, so. And I feel like that adds to uh, the the one, I guess, myth about, oh, oh my gosh, something with a B, that she was a witch. Oh, she, Bathsheba. Oh, Bathsheba. Yeah. Bathsheba, yeah. yes. Yeah. That she, uh, I guess, essentially had, had killed a, a child with a sewing needle mm-hmm. and that she, so it's like, oh, she's picking on yeah. children. And, and, it, and it turns out that. to this day, there's really no proof or evidence of that. And that was kind of a folklore thing. And it kind of got blown up by the movie and got blown up a bit by Andrea's book because she kind of believed in it. And actually, since she's written her book, she's kind of walked that back because other people who have investigated this pretty thoroughly have said, hey, you know, those things you said, uh, not a lot of truth to those. And the sad part about that is, is that woman's actual grave uh, gets destroyed and, uh, and oh, um, you know, violated and and you know, all the time, like people are always having to repair it or, you know, take something off of it or whatever, because people see the movie and think that this person was like an evil witch or something. And most likely she wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were deaths on the property. There were some things that happened, but there's really not a lot of a trail to prove anything about, about Bathsheba doing anything. So, you know, that one's kind of a tough one. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we mentioned in our episode, uh, that, because I know we were talking about how at one point I, th- I might've been after the movie came out, just people just started going to the house and doing stuff yeah. at the house. And it's just like, guys, like it's like, we get it. Like you want to go see the house, but you also gotta, if there is somebody living there, you got to respect their privacy, respect the people who actually live there yep. and stuff and like that. And that's why and that know, last family moved out. They had lived there for like 20 years or so. And it was just an older couple, a man and a woman. Mm. And, you know, they were living there quietly. Nobody was bothering them. Nobody ever bugged them. You know, they'd let a couple of, you know, they let my team in once. They let the ghost hunters in once, but nobody was bothering them. And then the movie came out. And next thing they knew, there were people sneaking onto their property every night, mm. trying to look in their windows, trying to sneak into their basement. And it was just an older couple. And, you know, it was getting stressful. They had to put up security things. They had to put up like all kinds of, you know, um, motion lights on their property. They had to put up like a gate and some fencing. You know, they were always having to call the police. They even tried to sue the movie company over this. Oh, wow. Because they were trying to say, you know, it it was because of you that these people are coming and trespassing all the time. And, you know, the they didn't get anywhere with the lawsuit. 
So eventually they just ended up selling the house. They just got to a point where it was too much for them. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how things are in Rhode Island, but uh, in Texas, people, I was going to say those people are lucky that they, that this wasn't in Texas because it would yeah. be a whole yeah. different yeah. story. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. The gun culture up here is a little different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm dying to hear about the, the thing that kind of shook you. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I was mentioning uh, Cody and Satori about how they have their ability. And like I said, I've seen them do it a, a, a handful of times. And they were doing it that night. We were upstairs. And I, I say this on my episode of the podcast. I talk about it in depth. But we were upstairs in one of the bedrooms. And the way the whole thing kind of is laid out is there's like a bedroom. And then there's like a hallway that's kind of like a closet. And then that leads right into the next bedroom. And there was a team of like six or seven people who had paid to be there. And so they were all piled into the bedroom. And I just kind of hung out in that little doorway. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to, like I said, I wanted to stay in the background. This wasn't my thing. I just kind of want to observe, you know, and, um, Cody and, and Satori started doing their thing where they try to communicate and get the knocking sounds. So they were holding hands and this was after, after some people had already done Estes method stuff, you know, with the, with the ghost box, which, which I'm not a big fan of, but it was interesting that night. Um, because some of the things that the, the ghost box had said, uh, I had said, I had told to Andrea a couple weeks later when I was on a podcast with her, I said, Hey, I was at the conjuring house and they did Estes method. And Abigail said this, this, or this, and she was blown away by what it was. It was like, nah. I had revealed something that she totally forgot about, but <laughs> that story's yeah. on there too, but that's something else. Yes. So Cody and Satori doing their thing. Like I said, they lock hands and they'll communicate with the spirit. And it's usually through knocking sounds. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what they'll do is, will you spell out your name? I'm going to go through the alphabet, knock on the first letter for your name. And so mm -hmm. Satori will go A, B, C, D, and you'll hear the knock. She'll be like, all right, D, A, B, C, D, you'll hear the knock, E. And, you know, and then sometimes they can, after a few letters, they can kind of guess what the word is. And then you'll hear a knock as in, yes, that's the word. So they're able to communicate that way. And it, it's, it's wow. really remarkable. Yeah. It's really remarkable. And believe me, I have filmed them, taped them. I've laid on the floor. I've put my ear up against the floor. I've watched every inch of their bodies. And I'm just like, I don't know where this is coming from. So I'm standing in the doorway of this bedroom. And there's like eight or nine people in there. Cody and Satori are in the middle of the room holding hands. And Satori's like, Will you, would you like to talk to us? Do you want to come in the room with us and talk to us? And sure enough, from behind me in the other bedroom where there no was nobody, mm -hmm. I heard knocking. And the knocking was getting closer and closer and closer to me and then just went right through me into the room. No. And everybody uh. could hear it. <laughs> and I felt the knock go right under my feet. Like I could feel it vibrate the floor under me. It was oh as if somebody gosh. ran from the other bedroom into this bedroom to go talk to Satori and Cody. And I'm standing in the doorway like, did a ghost just walk through me? Like, did that just happen? Like, should I, do I, do I have slime on me now or anything? Like, I was blown away by it. That's never happened to me before. And I've never seen them do that and heard whatever it is they're talking to go from one room to another. It's usually just there with them. But yeah. this literally, I heard it come right through. I wish I had had a recorder with me so I could have picked it up just right through the room with me. And I was like, oh, my God, that just happened. And I didn't even say wow. anything. I had to keep it to myself because I didn't want to ruin what was already happening. So I had to, like, yeah. wait till the end of the night to tell, to tell them that that happened. And 
Cody was like, oh, no, I know. I saw it on your face because <laughs> he heard the knocking and knew it happened, too. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. it went right through you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. So I heard I heard this on the I listened to the episode twice and mm-hmm. both times was like, oh, but hearing you say it again, like right now, like full mm-hmm. body chills. It was creepy oh. on the episode, but it's just like <laughs> it was, it was so, it like it was it wasn't even creepy to me. It was just so cool. It was just like, wow. Yeah. All right. Didn't you know, because I didn't expect anything to happen that night. You yeah. Know? yeah. And then I had those experiences, which were like crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah. I really want to go back again sometime. But um. You know, one, I definitely don't want to pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one for paying to go to events. And two, I feel guilty about, you know, just kind of freeloading my way in again. So I'm hoping that eventually at some point her or somebody else there will invite me as a guest again so I can yeah. go and check it out again. <laughs> yeah, because I think we even joked about it, too, because we saw we, oh, were that's looking, right. we were looking into uh, to going to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're just looking, right? We weren't. Yeah. I don't. We weren't we, actually making we, plans. We would. We would be you of just like we're just going to be in the background while the investigators actually yeah. Yeah. like yeah. do the I, way. I will honestly say though, it is worth the money. Go and do it. All the events yeah. there are amazing. The people who will be guiding you and working with you are amazing. A lot of nights it'll be Cody and Satori doing their thing. That's worth the price of admission just to see them communicating with spirits the way they do. But even if yeah. it's like Ken DaCosta from Rise Up, or you know. Uh, some of the mediums who are there. I mean, they're all top-notch great people, and you're going to have an experience of a lifetime there. So I definitely suggest doing it. I'm just one who can't ever bring myself to pay to do these things because I've done them so many times for free mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. I just I just can't bring myself to do it. Like, I have a couple of friends going in a couple of weeks, and they're like, do you want to come? And I'm like, how much did you pay? I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll let you borrow my equipment, but I was like, but I, I'm not gonna go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was. We were we were making a list of okay. We were like, okay, so who would we? Because I think there's like group specials or something like that or something. Yeah. It was something along those lines. But we're mm-hmm. like, all right, so who's in our group? And then uh, just want to let you know, Tom, you made the cut. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> we, had, we had a list yeah. of like other paranormal investigators. You guys are gonna had. go to the Conjuring House. You let me know, and I'll weasel yeah. my way into that one. Definitely, right. I would love to see you guys in so person. Good. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> and maybe I can bring you to a couple of other places too. Yeah, yeah that'd be awesome. Depending yeah. on what's going on and where, you know. Yeah. What was I gonna say? I know that, um, like you mentioned, you and Andrea have kind of formed a little bit of a friendship. What do you think, or what would you say was the most like totally like? complete opposite of what happened in the movie compared to like what happened in real life that the real life was more Mm -hmm. scary insane or scary yeah (laughs) uh she said like most of the storyline is like 90 percent inaccurate so they really took a lot of liberties with it basically they've got the shell of the story that it was a family living in the house and the mother was was being tormented by a spirit and the kids were being tormented um, I'll tell you this, the number one question everyone asks her, and I ended up asking her, and then I asked her a question that nobody ever asked her and it blew her mind. But the question I asked her that everyone always asks is, did you really play the clapping game? You remember in the oh, movie yeah. when the yeah. kids would hide and then they would clap yes. oh, and, then you had yeah, to go, yeah. and then the ghosts started clapping? Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, no, they never played that game. Oh, <laughs> but okay. She said that's oh, the most, most common question she gets asked. So. <laughs> But I asked her, we were on a podcast together, and I asked her, um, when you had moved out of the house and before it became an attraction like it is now, did you ever feel like the house was calling you back? And she got complete chills. She was like, oh, my God. She's like, 
no one's ever asked me that before. And she's like, that's, she was blown. She's like, she wanted to cry. She's like, that's the best question anyone's ever asked me. She was like, oh, like she's, she's very emotional. She gets emotional quickly, but she's like, yes, she goes, the house was always calling me back. She goes, that house and I are like one. And she was like, I couldn't wait to go back and visit it again. When I finally had the opportunity back when the, when the Heinzens ended up buying it and turned it into an attraction, she was able to go back and she couldn't wait. She wasn't afraid to go back. She, she actually considers those spirits like family in that house. Because she grew up with them. So it's like they're like family to her. So, yeah. So she was blown away by that question. I I do remember, you know, in in, in your episode, her saying that it was like a warm and, you know, comfortable feeling when she went back. And that that answer blew my mind because I Mm -hmm. was obviously. Yeah, you think she'd be afraid of it. Yeah. no, No, it's the opposite for her. It feels like the place where she belongs, you know, which is odd because you would think that you know, with all the haunted stuff that she went through. But I think she just over the years got to understand it better, you know, and kind of, you know, because most of the time hauntings are just misunderstood. You know, a lot of people think it's evil. It's trying to scare me. It wants me out of the house. And a lot of times we're just misunderstanding because we don't know what it is and we don't know what it's trying to do. You know, if a ghost pulls your hair, it's not necessarily trying to hurt you. It might just be trying to get your attention. You know, it's trying to it's probably confused, like, hey, I'm over here. Why can't you see me? You know, why yeah. can't you hear me? So I think a lot of times hauntings are very misunderstood. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we've all got our preconceived ideas of the conjuring house because of the movie, you know, like it was so yeah. scary in the movie that you would think that she'd be afraid to go back. But it was totally different for her and, and her family. All, all Every one of her family members has been back and they've all been fine with it. Mm-hmm. Amazingly. Yeah, if they're trying to touch, if they're touching your side on your ribs, you know, they might just try and let you know that they're there, Michelle. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, we, oh, yeah there you go. <laughs> I, ha- I had this super weird experience, and well, the episode hasn't aired yet, but I just told oh, them okay. about it last week, and it was like mm-hmm. it felt like ice. It really felt like water drop, like ice water, like on my side on my ribs. And he's like, "What have you got touched?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> so I was maybe like, Let's not maybe think you about got that. touched. At least it wasn't like uh, a one of those three line scratches like you see yeah. in all the TV shows. Yeah, yeah. No, those you don't necessarily want. And uh, no. I think I think the worst one I ever heard was uh, Joe Chin, who was on Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. I've done a bunch of investigations with him. He's a good guy. And when he was investigating on Ghost Hunters International, they were at. Um, the Dracula castle and he got bit on the arm and you could see the, the human teeth marks on his arm and he actually had a picture of it on his phone that he showed me. And it's like, Whoa, okay. Maybe that, that's that's probably not misunderstood. That's something biting you. (laughs) And you're in a, you're in Dracula's house and something's biting you. All right. That's maybe a sign that you should go. (laughs) How appropriate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. So I think one of my favorite parts of, well, on, I mean, like as a movie, it's, I think you, you mentioned too, like, it's just, it's one of those, like, I honestly, the way that I watched that movie was with a website open telling me when all the jump scares were. Cause I was like, I am not about to get, cause I was at work too. So I was, I was trying not to, you know, scream like a girl at work. So I yeah. had like all the jump scares. And I was like, all right, okay. Mm-hmm. If, uh, this many minutes in, this is going to happen. I was like, I'm bracing myself for it. But like at the very beginning of the movie where I think the dad opens up this, uh, crawl space or something like that in the, 
in one of the closets and then that's when everything Mm -hmm. starts to happen Mm -hmm. and then i watch tiktoks and people are opening up you know basements or like stuff that's been sealed off for a long time i was like guys did you not watch the conjuring this is how (laughs) bad things happen i know i saw a tiktok not too long ago where the guy found out that there was a whole other room and staircase on the other side of his wall and he mm. could just tell by the layout of the house that he had bought, like, there's something here that should be there, and it's not. And so he cut it open, and I was like, dude, that's where the ghosts live. You yeah. shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or uh, someone uh, living in your house that you don't know about that just yeah, like, sneaks yeah, out. Like yeah. those Walking spotted, through your yeah, walls. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes to the Conjuring movie, um, they really didn't consult Andrea or her family or her book. They mostly went through Lorraine Warren's uh, accounts. Mm. And uh, and then they took a lot of liberties with that as well. So that was really where they went with the story. And it was a lot different from the people who actually went through it and lived it. So it's different. So what do you think about uh, and again, you kind of mentioned it in in your episode that stuff started to get worse once the Warrens came. Do you do you have an opinion as far as like is is that something that they tend to do? Because I know that it. I think Enfield. it was the one in England. Enfield, yeah, Enfield Poultry Guys. Yeah. Like that was also kind of another thing where they um, came unexpectedly. And yeah, I mean, uh, when you talk to people who've had experiences with them, they yeah they they did in some situations make things worse, not better. Um, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was because of their religious background or if they were just if their religious background led to a, a sort of a provoking or something, but. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of situations where um, when it comes down to it, the Warrens were kind of like things really escalated when they get got involved, you know. So, I mean, in in some areas of the paranormal, people see them as having a bad reputation, even though they're kind of like the most famous paranormal investigators of all time. And now they got this string of movies, you know, with The Conjuring and everything. And and the cases they went on are remarkable, and there are many cases where they did help families. Um, but I believe there are some situations where just their presence and maybe the way they were approaching things made it worse. I think that's very possible. So, um, you know, it's hard to say because I wasn't there, obviously, for any of these situations. But but Andrea has definitely told me that she felt like things got worse when the Warrens were there. In fact, uh, you know, her father wouldn't let the Warrens come back to the house anymore. He was he had he had completely shut them out. And I think her mother once or twice snuck them back in when he wasn't home. Um, but yeah, but, you know, it, it was just uh, it wasn't a lot like the movie, you know, in yeah. real life. Or they're the heroes in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although it, I well, do I mean, love their characters in the movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love the movies. They don't need to sue me or anything because I do love the movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do creep I, me I, out. In fact, I, thought, this, I thought the second one, the Enfield one, was even better than the first one. Yes. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's for me, it's it's the second one is my favorite. The first one is next. And then I think uh the by the third one they were starting to get a little bit too like redundant. You know, yeah, I felt like, like they kind of mailed it in on the third one a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I guess they're working on the fourth one now. Oh, okay. I'm not I, sure I, I which I'm not sure which case it is, but I think it's back in the US. Mm. I'll have to look it up. I remember reading something about it somewhere. But um, but uh, I mean, you know, when it comes to horror movies, they do a good job with the horror. Yes, (laughs) you know, they do scare the crap out of you. And I can definitely see how, like, again, because of the religious background, like, um, 
I mean, not saying again that I, cause I wasn't there either, obviously, cause I don't <laughs> even think I was a thought in my parents' mind by, back then. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, just because like, cause I believe they're Catholic, right? Yes. So I know if, if I guess it too, like if you're going into it, thinking a certain way about things and you're going to go in maybe kind of aggressive with it, you know, cause mm-hmm. like I have my, my sage and stuff here and my mother-in-law was here recently and some stuff was mentioned to my wife about it. So, you know, I witchcraft, <laughs> that was the exact words yeah. that yep. were said. So, um, you know, uh, I can see how that could that could be the case, you know. Well, I think one of the problems with the Warrens was that they always jumped to the conclusion of a demon. Right. Quickly. And that's what I was yeah. And and it's not always a demon. Like it's very rarely a demon, I think. Like I've been on hundreds of investigations, been to many, many haunted places. I've never felt like anything was a demon. Maybe I've been lucky, I don't know. But if demons were as common as they seem in the movies or as they seem in the Warrens cases, then I probably should have stumbled upon one by now, especially yeah. since I've been to some of the same places they've been to, you know, yeah. Yeah. like I didn't feel there was anything demonic in the conjuring house going on and nobody I know who has spent time there feels that way. So, you know, including the woman who grew up there, I was about to say, <laughs> you know? I mean, if- she never felt it was demonic either. So, you know, her mother, I think did cause her mother suffered some injuries, but you know, um, you know, those are stories you just don't know. You know, every yeah. story starts with the truth, but then, you know, it gets elaborated on a lot. So you just don't know what really happened and what caused stuff. But there was no reason to think it was demonic right from the start. Yeah. No, and, and I and I feel like uh, there was a good, well, maybe it's one uh, paranormal group in particular that always goes straight to demon too. <laughs> but I feel like um, nowadays more paranormal investigators are like, no, it's not always demonic. There may be like jerk ghosts kind of thing, but mm-hmm. not a straight up demon. Like that's yeah. on another level. No, there's still enough teams out there that still jump to demon conclusions with no real evidence for it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, uh, like you said, everybody is influenced by different TV shows and different movies. And um, if you really go into this field, those are the things that are probably going to inspire you. But you know, if you really want to be good at this, you need to, you know, leave all that at the door and go in objectively and try and try and collect data, evidence, and then figure out what you think is happening instead of just judging it as soon as you get there. And, you know, I mean, you can't, the TV shows, you can't go by what's happening on the TV shows. They're just trying to get ratings, you know, but when you're out in the field as an investigator, you're dealing with real people, real families in their homes or their businesses. And, you know, you're messing around with people's lives by saying there's a demon here or something like that. Like, you don't want to do that. It's just it's just unethical to me anyways to be doing that to people when you have no right to do it. I mean, there are people out there that call themselves demonologists. And, you know, you can go to a website right now and, and sign up and become a demonologist by reading a book or something. And it's, yeah. like, you know, just stop. Just stop yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I think we've we've been lucky that the paranormal investigators that we've had on a lot of them think the same way, you know, and that's kind of like, you know, what you've mentioned too that mm-hmm. go in there like, yeah, you might think, OK, you, you I mean, obviously you think it might be haunted or there's going to be activity because you're going to investigate. Right. But they're trying to disprove stuff. And before they just jump to like, oh, yeah, it was this or that, you know, it's for sure paranormal skeptical. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so yeah. Well, that's what I've always called myself. I'm a skeptical believer. I don't ever believe anything is paranormal until I've had some sort of experience with it, and I've had a good opportunity to control the field of study there. You know, control the environment as best as I can, and review as much data as I can, and then try to come up with a determination. You know, you know, it's you're like a detective. You know, you don't mm-hmm. just walk into a crime scene and then decide what happened there. You have to collect data and evidence and talk to people and do research and mull it all over and compare it to other things and, you know, say, okay, it could be A, B, or C, and then eliminate A. All right, now it's either B or C, and then eliminate B, and okay, I guess it's C, you know, something like that. you got to really, you know, just process everything. But most yeah. people, I shouldn't say most anymore. I think it's gotten better than it did years ago, but a lot of paranormal teams were just out for the thrill, you know, mm-hmm. and so there's no thrill in it being boring. So. Yeah. They have to look for something to invent to make it thrilling for themselves. Well, I know that you had kind of taken a step back uh, from investigating. Do you are you planning on kind of getting back into it, or do you have anything planned? Uh, I actually up? got back into it a little bit last year, okay. um, which was cool because I have a little bit more free time now, and um, a couple of cases just fell into my lap. So I was like, hmm, you know, I've been kind of itching to get back out there. So this is some good opportunities. So the first case was, um, and I'm going to do episodes about these too. I haven't done the episodes yet, but I have evidence and stuff to present everything. Exclusive guys. Yeah. So um, (laughs) I'm not going to name the locations because I don't want people to know these locations because we got permission to be in there and we don't want people going there. But this was a large old brick mill that is now basically a couple of different businesses and offices and stuff. And the guy who owns the whole mill, he, there's part of that mill is actually a small event center. And a friend of mine, a stand-up comedian who knows that I was dabbling in the paranormal for a while, he was there doing a show and was talking to the owner and was looking around at how old this place was and just jokingly said, Hey, is this place haunted? And the guy was like, Oh yeah, there's lots of stuff going on in this place. And so they got to talk and he's like, well, my buddy, Tom, he used to do paranormal investigation. If you ever want to have a team come in, you know, I'm sure he'd love to do it. And so long story short, I got in touch with the guy and he's like, yeah, I'll, let me know when you want to do it and we'll do it. And so I called up my friends from Rise Up Paranormal that I used to investigate with. You know, they're still actively investigating. And I said, hey, I got an opportunity to investigate this, you know, this mill. I, you know, I don't want to do it alone or with a couple of friends. I'd rather do what you guys. You guys want to come. And they were down for it, you know. And so we all met up there and we investigated this mill. It was big. It was like four floors, but the top floor hadn't been transformed or anything into office or anything. So it was still in its original state with the old wooden floors and the brick walls and a lot of different, uh, you know, I mean, there'd been some modernizing up there, like, you know, the air conditioning and HVAC and all that was up there for the building, but um, everything else was pretty much the same. And a couple of the stories that were there were um, different people had seen what looked like a woman on the, I want to say second or third floor, would walk from what is now the break area 
and would walk out the break room and into the main room and then disappear in front of this one corner office. And several people had seen it. In fact, two cleaning people quit because they'd seen it. And the owner was just telling me about all this. And he's like, it's always in the same place. And I'm like, well, that leads me to believe that it's probably a residual haunt and not an intelligent haunt, but still very interesting, but enough to scare some people away from the place, you know? And employees never wanted to stay there after five o'clock. Five o'clock, boom, nobody wanted to be the last one out the door. They were always leaving together. So so that was interesting. And then while we were just kind of walking through and the owner was giving us a little tour before we investigated, his uh, handyman showed up. And, you know, and he would pop in all the time just to check on things and work on things and stuff. And, um, and so he introduced us to him. And, you know, he, when he found out what we were doing, immediately he was like, oh, have you told him about the woman who walks across, you know, from the break yeah. room? And the owner's like, yeah, yeah, I told him. And I'm like, oh, you've seen it too? And he's like, yeah, I've seen her a few times. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, a, a lot of times when there's going to be a snowstorm, he goes, I will sleep in the lobby up here on the couch, on the leather couch, because that way I get up nice and early and I can go out and plow the parking lot for everybody, you know, because there's a snowstorm instead of having to drive in from my house. He goes, so I would just stay. He goes, and I've seen her a few times. And he goes, it's always at different times, but I have seen her. And the first couple of times I thought there was somebody in the building with me, you know, he wow. goes, but they just disappeared. And then the owner told me a couple of stories. He told us about, he was sitting in his big like corner office of the building one time. And a few times he'd heard noise upstairs from that top floor. That's not finished. And he would think it's animals or he would think it was something else. But then one night, it just sounded like there were people walking around up there to the point where he called his wife and he said, I'm going upstairs to check on this. If you don't hear from me in 20 minutes, call the police and send them here. And he grabbed a baseball bat from his office and went up there to go investigate and he didn't see anything. But that's how concerned he was of the noise that he was hearing upstairs. And it's a big, big open area. And it's so big and tall that there's actually a basketball hoop. Like they used to actually play basketball up there. I guess at one time before he owned it, the business used to use it for like recreation up there and stuff. But we walked around a lot up there and it was really interesting in the back room up there. There's one like side room kind of, and there's drawings on the wall and they look old. They look like they were drawn with pieces of brick. And in a couple of places, there's like words you can't read and sometimes there's numbers. And then there was this drawing of like, a man in a bow tie and looked like maybe like this was the old mill owner and the workers in this mill were like drawing a funny picture of him on the wall. And then there was a picture of a woman standing next to him with big boobs. And I'm like, that's gotta be the owner's wife. That's gotta (laughs) be her, you know? And they're like, this was them in like the 16, 1700s, whatever it was like drawing pictures of him. Um, So it was interesting. So I got pictures of those that I'm going to throw up on the website for people to see. So here's what, was really interesting when we were investigating. We decided to investigate in the break room because that's where the spirit keeps coming from. And of course, you know, we set up motion detectors and stuff to see if anything moved. But again, uh, Cody and Satori were with us. And of course, they locked hands and they were able to communicate with a spirit who used to work in that mill back in the day. And we asked him if there were any other spirits in the, in the mill. And he said, yes, there were. 
and that he actually communicates with some of them. Some of them just walk around. They don't talk to anybody, including the one that would walk from the break room towards that other office. He said that one never talked to anyone. He said, but there's one that likes to mess up papers. And that was one of the other accounts that people who worked there kept saying is they would come in and all the papers in their desk would be knocked over or pushed around. So we asked him, hey, um, are you able to move papers and things like that? And the spirit said, yes. So we said, if we set something up, will you move it for us? And he agreed that he would try. So we set up a magazine, opened it up and placed it, you know, covered down and we put a infrared camera facing it and we left it there in the break room for the entire night. We never went back in there. And at the end of the night, when we went back in, didn't look like anything had happened. The news, you know, the magazine was just still sitting there and the camera was still on. Everything was good. But when the review of the uh, video, at one point, you can see one of the pages kind of buckling and lifting as if somebody uh, was trying to move it like that. Wow. And we caught that, we caught that on video. And then the freakiest thing that happened to me anyways was we were all in that break room communicating one more time at the end of the night. And we actually brought in the owner of the building with us because he wanted to sit in on one thing. And he had like his uh, grandson and granddaughter with him. They were like nine, 10 years old, 12 years old, and they were really into the ghost show. So they wanted to kind of see what we do. So we're like, oh, come sit in with us. And then Cody and Satori started communicating with the spirit again. And the spirit started talking about some guy. All of a sudden, some guy was coming through that didn't work there, had nothing to do with the building. And they were very confused and we were all confused. And then finally, we figured out that this guy was the owner's wife's first husband. That's the spirit that was coming through to us. He apparently, and I'm still not sure I want to put this in my episode, (laughs) but apparently from the story he told us and not knowing a lot of details, her first husband like went away on a business trip, never came back and he was missing and the police were never able to find him. Nobody ever knows what happened to him. They just presumed him dead. Hmm. Wow. And, you know, life goes on. She remarries and everything like that. Now, there's no chance that Cody and Satori knew this. I didn't know it. None of us in the room knew it. The only one who knew was the owner, you know, about this guy. And this guy was coming through because this was his opportunity to tell this guy, to tell his wife what happened to him. That, yes, he had gotten into an accident and he had died or something, fell off a boat or something. I'm not sure what it was. But that, you know, that he wanted to thank her for all the time she spent trying to look for him and, and caring for him and loving for him and everything like that. And that she, he's glad that she's moved on and that she's found a good guy and all this other stuff. So it was really a touching story wow. and a strange one, but it was just like so out of the blue, you know, and just so, like something out of a movie. Yeah. It really did. It felt yeah. like I was in the plot of a movie. Like, wow, like that's crazy. And yeah. yeah. And, you know, and so those were two different spirits that they were able to communicate. And this is all through knocking sounds. So that's why we couldn't get a lot of the story because you're trying to do it by spelling with knocks. So it was hard. So we had to piece it together and with the with the owner's information. And he was just white as a ghost when he heard the name. And we were like, he was like, what? And uh, like, like he knew that, you know. There was no way, you know, like, you know, sometimes a medium or somebody tries to trick you. They'll do some research and pretend like they just figured it out. But it was something that you looked up like there was no way anybody could have found this out, you know. 
So it blew, it blew us all away. Yeah. I was going to say, I would have loved to see his wife's reaction. Yeah. I know. With him telling her like, oh, I, I I don't even know how he could tell her how he'd be like, like, I don't even know if she would believe him. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, uh, so I had these, uh, people at the, I had these (laughs) ghost hunters come and, you know, and your dead ex-husband came through like, wow. Like, I don't even know if you'd want to go there, you know, right, yeah. um, bring that back oh, up. On us. But, um, but I mean, we had it all on audio and everything. So, I mean, he had that to back it up if you wanted. But so that was a really interesting place that just fell into my lap. So I got that one, you know, um, that I'll probably do an episode on at some point. And then um, same exact thing happened. There was this old, old, old restaurant in Rhode Island that the same friend was doing comedy at. And sure enough, some reason he talked about ghosts and the manager was like, oh yeah, this place has ghosts. Everybody who works here has had some sort of an experience in this restaurant. And so he got me in touch with her and same thing. I brought the Rise Up people in and Cody, Cody and Satori came in and we did an investigation. And I've actually done stand-up comedy there too, which was kind of cool because now I'm like, oh, this is like two worlds colliding, my stand-up comedy and my investigating now. This has happened a few times before, but um, so. This restaurant is, the building is super, super old. It used to be an inn. And here's how old this inn is. It's believed that George Washington stayed there when he came to Rhode Island to have his portrait painted. That's that's the portrait that was used on the $1 bill. Wow. That's the famous (laughs) portrait of George Washington that was painted by an artist in Rhode Island. And at the time... When you're coming to Rhode Island, there were very few places to stay, especially if you were somebody that's a general like George Washington, you know, future president. And so it's presumed that that would be the inn that he would have stayed in while he was in town to have his portrait done. So there's no way to prove it. There's no evidence that he was ever there. But, it, you know, historians basically say that's probably, you know, one of the claims to fame in that place. But it's been an inn for that long. It's been there. I mean, it's gone through different owners and hands and stuff. But so the current owner there, he was excited to have us come in because he had experiences. Many people had had experiences. So one of the first places we went up to was the attic where it's just a lot of stuff in storage and everything. But, you know, all the old wood and everything, it's all like old, old, old. You can just tell it's all old, you know. And, um, part of the building is still original. Part of it is been redone because it had a fire. Um, but we're up in the attic and there's just lots of stuff stored up there. And at the time we went, it was, uh, it was probably like November ish. So it was very cold and it was, you know, not too far from Christmas. And there was a ton of stuff up there, like toys, like all toys and packages and stuff, because I guess he does a Christmas toy drive every year the owner. And, um, it was something that his mother always started and she would do it with the restaurant and everything like that. But this was going to be the first year that they do it without her because she had passed away. And so sure enough, Cody and Satori go up into the attic with us. They start doing their thing. And the owner's mother comes through. Of course. And she's talking about, she's bringing up names of grandkids and bringing up names of this and that things. None of us have any idea what is being talked about. 
And the manager who was with us, the owner wasn't with us for the investigation, but the manager who was there, who knows the family very well, she's immediately crying, immediately blown away by all the names were just that are just coming out of the clear blue and all these lovely messages of how I miss you all. And I hope you're not sad that I'm not there. And I hope you're still going to do the Christmas drive and just all this stuff. And it was just amazing. Um, and at another point, another spirit came through downstairs. It was an old bartender who worked there many, you know, centuries ago. And he was mad because there were women behind the bar and women oh aren't supposed gosh. to be behind a bar, things like that. <laughs> um, that was the most that happened there. Um, the only experience I personally had at that restaurant was I was in one of the upstairs offices with um, with my comedian friend who I let tag along from the investigation because he was really into this stuff and he's the one that got the ball rolling. So I was like, dad, definitely come. So the two of us went and sat up in the office and I had a recorder going and I was doing the whole, you know, if you can hear us, knock for us, make a sound. We want to know that you know that we're here. And a couple of times we got knocking sounds, but I didn't hear them. They were only on the recorder, which was weird because usually you hear a knocking sound, but they were, they showed up on the recorder. Might've so that was in the mic. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it sounded like wooden, but I think, it, oh, okay. I think one time I heard it. And then the second time I didn't hear it, maybe we just weren't paying attention or something. Um, but some of the other people had little knocking sounds and, and it just seemed like a lot of times it just seemed like something was definitely in the room with you when you were there, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it was very interesting. And, um, that was a fun one too. So I'll probably do an episode about that too. Um, but other than that, um, the latest episode I just put up, I went back to the pain house and I got to do an investigation at the pain house, which is one of my favorite places. Um, so I was excited to go back there. So that was another investigation I did. So I think I did three and then last year and plus I went to the conjuring house. So, so, you know, totally dipping my toe back into it, but not full time yeah. though. I don't think I could do it like yeah. I used to back in the day. Cause that was like every weekend and then all week long reviewing evidence and then calling clients and doing evidence, you know, evidence reveals and, you know, talking to new clients. And it was like a full-time job back in the day. Besides an investigator, I was case manager at the time too. So it was a lot, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it's different these days though. The paranormal is not as many people looking for help as there once was. I think a lot of people just are more comfortable just dealing with it on their own now Mm -hmm. from the TV shows and, you know, Um, I was going to say, do you think they're a little, um, I don't want to say afraid, but maybe it's a little more off-putting now because of some of the shows that have come out, how it's like they're provoking and they obviously the shows put uh, more That might be a factor. Yeah, there might be some of that as a factor. And and I think just the newer generation that grew up with this is just more comfortable with it happening. You know, I think we're at a point now where you know, the ghost hunters generation is now adults. And, you know, if there's something haunted in their house, they're like, oh, that's all right. That's cool. You know, we, we know so it's not going to hurt us. It's all good. You know, <laughs> so I think I think the culture about it has kind of changed a lot. So that doesn't seem to be in much demand. It's still definitely a demand, but not as much as it, it used to be. I remember with Rise Up, we literally would have cases like every weekend. And yeah. then we would also try to get into historic places and, you know, and well-known haunted attractions and stuff. But you know, I'm hoping to do some more at some point. I don't have anything on tap right now. Um, most of this stuff just falls into my lap. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not even really planning it. Um, I definitely want to hang out with Cody and Satori some more because um, they're super people. But also what they do is just really amazing. And it's like, for me, it's like the next chapter. It's like, all right, 
what's going on here? Why are you able to communicate? Why has it been so long since anyone else has been able to do that? And why is it like the daughter of the most famous ghost hunter, Jason Hawes? Why is it her? You know, like it's just, wow, that's, you know, and if you watch a couple of episodes of Ghost Hunters, they do it on the TV show too. And it's amazing. Blows away. Um, But um, I'm actually, I'm hoping to take them out to Swan Point Cemetery, which is one of my early episodes on my podcast, um, which is the cemetery the next where I used to grow up, where I grew up. And I used to spend a lot of time in that cemetery. It's where H.P. Lovecraft is buried and it's where the Sprague tomb is and and many other experiences that I've had there. Um, You know, uh, Cody and Satori are young. Like I was, you know, having experiences in that graveyard before they were even alive, you know? So I've got like fresh ears to tell all these stories to. And so who knows what will happen while we're walking through there, you know? Um, And then I also want to give them some artifacts that I have because um, they're the paranormal couple, but that's not because of what they do, but because they, uh, they actually collect haunted and like tragic items. So they have like a traveling museum of different things. Okay. And um, they do a, a, like a a YouTube um, show about it every couple of weeks. They have a TikTok and they go to different expos and stuff. They got a big van and they bring all these things, you know, haunted dolls and, you know, and um, they've got a, a, a Christmas tree angel that supposedly starts fires and just wow. they've got all these weird things. And, but some of the things are just kind of like tragic things, too. They're not necessarily mm. haunted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people just send them to them now. You know, they've just kind of become those people where they just have these things. They have a, a, a they have a room dedicated to keeping all these things safe, kind of like the Warrens have with their with their museum. Mm-hmm. And they've got security cameras on at 24 seven so they can see if anything happens. And I've, they've shown me footage of a doll that moves by itself, no. and all kinds of creepy things. <laughs> um, oh no. But I wanted to give them something to add to their collection. As you know, from my podcast, I was a survivor of the station nightclub fire in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. which is coming up on its 20th anniversary on February 20th. And, um, you know, it happened 20 years ago and these guys were babies when it happened. So they don't even remember what it was like. But I have some pieces of the building that wow. burned down that night that I've kept for a long time. And I kind of want to loan them to them and, you know, and give it with, you know, my story of what happened that night and what happened to me. And they can make it part of their collection because I had like something paranormal happen to me, a few different things associated with that nightclub fire. So I figured I'd give them the artifacts they can put on display and they can put up a little thing about my story. And it's another item that they'll be able to talk about at their lectures and and go into the expos and stuff. So um, I want to get together again with them to talk about that and tell them the story, you know, um, because it's something that they didn't live through. So they're really interested in it because it's a big part of Rhode Island culture. But it was, you know, it was before their generation, you know. So, um, so, yes, I'm hoping to get together with them and that hopefully will lead to some more investigations and things. Well, all right, guys, that was the first half. That was part one of our interview with Tom. It's, it always happens with Tom. I mean, can't, can't, can't help it. it. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, not, we're not complaining at all. No. It was, it's always the time flies so fast. I'm super excited about this first half because it was uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to have, actually, no, we had wanted wanted to have him on 
anyway. But when he mentioned that he was going to the Conjuring House, I was like, as soon as this man goes to that and he puts out an episode, we are having him back on. Yes. So, uh, yeah, the the main focus of this first part of the interview is the Conjuring House. Uh, and like I said, you're going to hear him talk about it. He's going to tell us some of the stories that you will hear on the on on his episode of my paranormal stories. Uh, my paranormal story, sorry. Um, but I would encourage you strongly to, despite the fact that you just heard him talk about it, go listen to the episode because he does there's speak. Yes, there's uh, more detail. He and he speaks with uh, Andrea Perrin. Uh, he has clips of of an interview he did with her, so you get to hear her speak as well. And like we've been saying, the production of the podcast is amazing and it's very entertaining you'll you'll enjoy it so go do yourself a favor and go check that out and be ready and come back for part two next week yeah and if you guys would like to contact us check out our website at webelievedyou.com on the website there's a tab where you can find all our social media so make sure you go like follow and share on facebook and instagram there's also a listen tab where you can listen to the show directly on our website or click the link to your favorite podcast listening site, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also give us a five-star rating on Apple, which helps us move up the rank so more people can find us. And if you leave a review, we'll read it here on the show. If you want any of our merch, feel free to check out our merch tab where you can find a variety of designs on t-shirts, caps, and hoodies designed by Michelle herself. There's also a donate button if you really want to help us out. And finally, if you want to reach us, besides DMing us on social media, you can click on the Contact Us tab where you can write in telling us that you want to be interviewed. We can keep you anonymous and only share the information that you want. You can also send in your stories for our stories of high strangeness, and if you send them in in Spanish, we can translate them for you as well. So don't be shy, guys. Share your stories with us, because we believe. Do you? Do you?